welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Mark chapter 7. If not, uh, it'll be up on your screen. We're working through the gospel of Mark, going verse by verse. And uh, it's been about a year, I think, that we've been in Mark. We're probably going to be there for a little bit while longer. But one thing I love about going verse by verse through a book of the Bible is, um, is, is that you, you can't skip over kind of the more difficult passages. Um, so you can't just preach your favorite stuff. Um, the church I came from, we always did sermon series that were more thematic or with themes. And so we would sit around and pray about what theme we needed to preach on in that particular season. And that's good too. But unfortunately, for me anyway, oftentimes if I do that, I just lean into my favorite stuff. It seems like the Lord always speaks to me about my, my favorite stuff. Um, and, uh, but this forces me to really walk through all of Jesus's teachings. So last week we embarked, and, and, I, and, I, and I tried to get through it all in one week, and I just couldn't. So we're going we're gonna to stay on verse 14 of chapter 7, reading verse 14 through, I think it's verse 23, yeah. And uh, we're going to finish up where we left off. So it says, again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them. Defile means to make them unholy. Or we would say unsaved or unrighteous. Uh, he says nothing uh, outside of a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. Jesus, just to give context, Jesus is really, he's responding to the criticism of the Pharisees and the scribes who accused him of eating his food and his disciples of eating their food with hands that were unholy or were defiled because they didn't wash their hands in a special kind of way. And Jesus responds by saying, hey, guys, look, it's not about how you wash your hands. Um, but he does address the question, which the question is, what does defile people, right? What, what does make you unholy? And so now he's answering that question. He's saying, look, it's not what comes into a person in terms of what they eat. It is what comes out of a person that makes you unholy or undefiled. Does that make sense? So he's dealing with that question, and that is a good question. I'm, I'm concerned that, that a lot of us preachers, we have avoided that question. Yeah. We've avoided the question of what, what defiles me? What disconnects me from God? We haven't told people that very often. We've told them what connects them to God. We have tried to major on the positive sides of things, and yet Jesus didn't only tell people what connected people to God. He also warned them about what disconnected them. And I'm concerned that we haven't been entirely intellectually honest with people, and they kind of get the idea that generally they're always going to be connected to God because of that one scripture that says nothing can separate you from the love of God. However, the Bible also says that God loves the entire planet, the entire world. And so therefore, his love is for everyone, but his favor is not. His love is for everyone, but his salvation is not. His love is for everyone, but heaven is not. Heaven is for those who have a relationship with God. Heaven is for God and for his kids, his children. And we're not all his children. Some of us, Jesus said, are children of the devil. <laughs> Well, it's getting quiet. Some of us, we're, we're literally, we, we, we are not children of God because to be a child of God means you have to be born again, born of God. And so some of us have never been born again. We were born the first time. We were born of our father, Adam, and we take after Adam and Eve, and we take after mankind, which Jesus said, man, the, the bulk of humanity, they're going down this wide road that is leading to heaven. Oh, no, wait, that's not what he said. That's leading to destruction. And he describes that destruction in various passages, like eternal suffering, lake of fire, all kinds of stuff. That's not exactly great, right? Not places you want to be. It's sort of like Texas right now, but like hotter. He describes, and he describes it. And he's not afraid. And I, and I, I think sometimes we've been afraid to talk about money, 
because people get offended by that. And we've been afraid to talk about what defiles because the truth is most people are living in that. We don't want to scare them off. We don't want to offend them. And yet Jesus, in this passage, literally, he lists these things that defile people to a bunch of people who are living in that defilement. And so Jesus wasn't afraid to, to say that. And, and, uh, and what's weird is Jesus actually had a disadvantage because at the end of his sharing time here, he wasn't able to take up an altar call because he had not yet died and rose again and sent the Holy Spirit. So therefore, people were sort of stuck in their sin. But the good news is, we are 2,000 years forward. There is an empty cross. There is an empty grave. And there is a an, an, an upper room that was filled with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I can actually take an altar call after every single one of these and tell you that if you're struggling with these, struggling, if you're living in these, <laughs> if you're indulging, if you are trapped in these, there's hope. There's hope because God has made a way to save us from what defiles. So, so first off, let's, let's, just, let's, just, let's just read, read the passage. Jesus says, uh, it's not what comes into a person, it's what's come, what comes out of them. And after the crowd had left and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. And he said, wait a minute, are you so dull? <laughs> Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can make them unholy? Because it doesn't go into their heart. Right? So holiness and unholiness is a heart situation, not a food situation. In other words, eat all the McDonald's you want. Like, I have to give you permission. Uh, you're going to do it anyway. But I'm just saying, like, it's not your food. He says it's your heart. What you eat doesn't go into your heart. It just goes into your stomach, and then it, it goes out of your body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods to be clean. By the way, they didn't understand that at the time. So sometimes I'm thankful Jesus says some stuff that we don't get right away, but he's say it anyway, and we'll get it later. Mark, Mark and Peter are, are believed to be the ones who have written the Gospel of Mark. Peter got, understood this after the fact. But he's there in the moment, and he puts in parentheses in saying this, he declared all foods to be clean. And he goes on, Jesus goes on. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. This is, he, he just said that. So he's repeating himself for emphasis. For it is from within... And these are the things. Number one, out of a person's heart that evil thoughts come. Number two, that sexual immorality. Number three, theft. Number four, murder. Number five, adultery. Number six, greed. Number seven, malice. Number eight, deceit. Number nine, lewdness. Number 10, envy. Number 11, slander. Number 12, arrogance. And number 13, folly. All these things come from within and defile a person. So last week, I started the sermon entitled, 13 Things I Hate About You. A little different than the, the movie of 10 Things I Hate About You. But God does hate sin. And so we had some scriptures up last week just showing, and we could, if we could just show those again, just, just, to, just to reiterate, um, uh, if we move, just go ahead and whenever you're ready, and the flames are... Yeah, there's a couple from Psalms. So that, that, that's one. Psalm 11:15. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Uh, next. No, Psalm 5, 5. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes because you hate all evildoers. Uh, Proverbs 8:13. The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Uh, the way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. That means he hates it, but he loves him who pursues righteousness. That, that's fine. There was a few others. Uh, and, so, and so what we want to understand is that God hates sin. That's why sin disconnects us from God. You can't be in a relationship with somebody when you constantly do things that they hate. This is good marriage advice for you. Uh, so if you want to stay married, just don't do stuff that, stuff that they hate. And so what happens is, Jesus is giving us an outline of 13 things that defile us or disconnect us from God. And you might say, well, how is this a back-to-school Sunday sermon? I feel that it is because I feel like even as we head back to school, uh, many of us are stepping into places where, where these 13 things are, are rampant. They're very normal. They're accepted by our culture. Some are even promoted by our culture as being good. 
And so we need to understand that, that well, while our culture may say it's good, yet God condemns it. And so we want to live in the fear of the Lord. And uh, what's really interesting about defilement is defilement is something that you can choose to do or not do. This is not just about God taking certain things away from us or forgiving us for certain things, even though he's happy to do all of that. The truth is, when it comes to being defiled, you have to make a decision. So Daniel chapter 1 verse 8, Daniel said that he made up his mind that he would not defile himself. Now, this was in the Old Testament when defilement came from the food that you ate. And yet now, defilement doesn't come from the food that you eat, but the same spirit that can decide not to eat certain foods can also decide not to engage in sexual immorality, not to engage in evil thoughts, not to engage in greed, not to engage in malice, the things we preached about. And so, and so, and so my, my prayer for us is that we would step into this new season, because it's not just a season about going back to school. I believe that God is doing a new thing just in our church and among many of the people here in our church. And if you're going to step into that new season, you're going to need to make a decision that you're not going to defile yourself, that you're not going to walk in what God hates. Does it sound good? All right. So let's look, let's, let's, let's keep on the list. So last time we got a little more than halfway through the 13 things. We're on number eight right now, which is deceit. Jesus says that deceit is defiling. Now the word deceit, it doesn't necessarily mean to tell a lie, even though uh, scripture does say that God hates lying lips. I've, I always thought that was funny. Like he doesn't hate the lie, he hates the lips. <laughs> I hate that guy's lips. He hates the lying lips. Not just the lie, but the, the lips are just even, they just tick them off. He's like, man, look at those lips. I can't stand those lying lips. He hates lying. So, so obviously any lying, Scripture says that all liars will, will find their place in the pit of fire. So again, I think the flames are just perfect today. Thanks, guys. Uh, all liars, like even, even, even church-going liars, yeah. Even worship-leading liars, absolutely. Even preaching liars, you betcha. Even politician liars, yes. But that was my job. Doesn't matter. All liars, even, even salesmen, yes. All liars. So, so, this, so this is where Christians live. This is where Christians live. This is where I like to defile ourselves. This is where I like to defile ourselves. Politicians live. Christian politicians live differently. Christian sales Christian mechanics. Christian mechanics. thought that guy was well wait a minute how how are you so shocked why because we have a lot of do loss we have a lot of duplicity and duality we are one way at home and another way at school <laughs> we are one way at college and another way at church we we have different masks that we put on in order to present ourselves in a way that we believe is more acceptable we're so busy trying to fit in that we don't realize that it is disconnecting us from God. 
that our playing games and our, our duplicity is, is disconnecting us. And, so, and so, so we wonder why we're not walking in power. We wonder why we don't want to pray, why we don't want to read the Bible, why we don't have a hunger for God. It's because of your hypocrisy. Just to put it plain and simple, you cannot be a Christian and a hypocrite at the same time. There are no Christian hypocrites. There are no duplicitous Christians. So some of you are like, oh, oh crap. <laughs> oh, crap. And so look, but the good news is that while duplicity defiles, Jesus delivers. While duplicity defiles, Jesus saves. While duplicity defiles, Jesus is able to do what you and I cannot do for ourselves. He is able to save us and to give us boldness in whatever situation we're in so that we have consistency and some little something called integrity. That is the same thing I am here, I am there, and I am there, and I am everywhere that I go. That's not to say that I don't have mood swings. It's not to say I don't wake up on the wrong side of the bed sometimes. It's not to say that sometimes I don't get frustrated. But it is to say that, that the same person that would apologize for, for doing that here would also apologize for doing that over here. Right? So it's not that we're perfect and we, we never make any mistakes. But it is that we're the same person. The same humble person. <laughs> so that's your challenge. Maybe, maybe, maybe the other five or whatever five that I have to do today, maybe that doesn't even apply to you. But maybe this one applies to you. And so, so for you and for and for me, I would like for us just to make a declaration, if that's all right. I would like for us, like Daniel, to make up our mind about some things, to decide. Right? To draw the line in the sand that I will not defile myself. That if I've been living this duplicity, I'm going to stop. Yeah but, yeah, but how? How, Pastor? How do I do that? You stop. Yeah, but, yeah, but, but, but how? <laughs> I, love, I, love the, I love the simplicity of children. Which, by the way, Jesus said, if you're going to come into the kingdom, you have to have a faith like a child. Because children haven't yet developed the hypocrisy the ability to live with two faces. They haven't figured that out yet. Uh, we're, the, the, the kids and I were looking at IQ levels for different ages, and, and apparently like a two-year-old has the same human, has the same IQ as like a, a fairly smart dog. <laughs> and puppies also have the inability to be hypocritical. Now that's not to say that children can't lie. My child, especially Micah, was, was well-versed at this. So we would, we would, when he was little, now he's gotten better, but when he was little, he was two years old, you know, we told him, don't, don't touch the laptop. You know, dad's laptop is precious, it's the most expensive thing in the entire house, so this is not for kids to touch. Well, Micah, you know, he was fascinated with it, because dad's always on it, it's got a screen, all that kind of stuff. So Micah would always crawl over there and want to touch it. Well, you know, so you walk in the bedroom, his hand's on the laptop, did you touch the laptop? You know, and he pulls his hand back and says, no. So... <laughs> So children have the ability to lie, but it is, the, it is a more advanced ability of, of hypocrisy to be one thing and present something else. They really don't have that capacity because that's a certain level of intelligence that you have to have, and yet adults do. And so, and so never once did Micah ever say, but Dad, how do I not touch the laptop? Never once did he ever say, I don't know how to not touch the laptop, Dad. Why? Because that's a stupid statement. <laughs> and a two-year-old knows it. A two-year-old knows that he's lying. He knows exactly how not to touch a laptop, and he would never dream to tell me he didn't know how to touch a laptop. And yet, man, we have adults who are like, I don't know how to not be hypocritical. And it's like, well, you just be yourself. <laughs> oh, you don't know who you are. Oh, so that's, oh, okay, so, 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 there, so, so you're putting on a mask at home then too and a mask at work, and a mask at church. So then, so then here's what you need, man. You need to come to Jesus and submit to him and repent before him and receive your identity from him. And now you know who you are. And now go be that person. Don't, 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 don't put on a mask. Just simply live out of what the word of God tells you that you are. So sometimes we... we, we, we <laughs> We tell, say stuff that just, it really, it just kind of gets us out of, of, of being obedient. It's like, man, if I only knew the special tool of how to not do this. Well, there's no special tool. You simply know who you are in Christ, and then you be that person wherever you go.
It's really, really, really simple. A two-year-old can figure it out. I'm, uh, my, my, my puppy can figure it out. I know that you all can figure that one out. You, you got this. And so if you need a little grace, a little help from Jesus to do this, would you just raise your hand with me? Because I need his help. And let's just make this declaration together. In the name of Jesus, and according to the power that God's going to give me, I make up my mind today to not be a hypocrite. <laughs> To be true to who Jesus says that I am. Amen. There you go. All right. So go go and do that. Number number eight. What are we on? Number number nine is lewdness, and lewdness is kind of like sexual morality. Only it's it's a little bit softer, I guess. It's not as overt. It's not as uh, overt in terms of sexual morality. Uh, another translation translates it sensuality, and I think that's a pretty good translation. Um, Jesus is saying that sensuality will disconnect you from God. Um, we, have, we have a 14-year-old daughter, so we're having lots of good talks about that. Certain shorts <laughs> on 14-year-old girls are sensual. Some of you are like, really? What? No, it's just true. Certain tops are sensual. So sensuality, in the terms of, of living sensuality, is presenting something that's immodest. Now, modesty moves across cultures. So if you go to some places, modesty is very different from other places, and that's fine. It's a, it's a cultural uh, understanding. And so we all, we all have to gauge within our own culture. And that's why I say some shorts instead of giving you particular inches, because things are changing, right? And so every culture has its own version of what is sensual, of what is provocative, of what is out there. And so as parents, it's a little tricky because we have to keep up with our culture. You need to get TikTok. Come on, somebody. You need to understand what is, like, what is normal. You have to, you have to gauge with, with, with your culture. And I'm not saying that the culture defines for us what is, what is sensuality, but it lets us know where, kind of where the line is. 200 years ago, women didn't even wear pants. And, uh, you know, if, if, they were, if you wore skinny jeans, you were incredibly uh, sensual. Uh, however, if you go over to some places in South America, ladies aren't wearing tops at all. And there's nothing wrong with it. Missionaries have a hard time with that. And they try to Americanize people by getting them to wear American clothes because it's their version of sensuality. And it's not necessarily true. So anyway, so but, but the, the truth is, you, you, you're probably not going to South America, so keep your shirt on. I'm just saying that in all cultures, sensuality is something that, that, that people need to have discernment as to what it is and how they then should present themselves. And you can get a pretty good idea by when you wear stuff, kind of what happens, right? You can have an idea. And the truth is you can present sensuality, but it's not just about ladies because it's also about guys as far as what are you entertained by. <laughs> well, the music videos that you're watching, is there sensuality portrayed in your music videos? Would your YouTube history show sensuality throughout it? I mean, I, I think Super Bowl halftime shows are full of sensuality. It's really good music. I, I, I get it. I know it's really good music. But, it's, but even some music, without the visual, they're singing about things that you wouldn't let your kids watch a video about, but you'll let them describe it to them in the car. Well, I'm just saying sensuality and lewdness has creeped into our culture, and it's, and it's promoted. It's, it's celebrated. It's like this is a good thing, but it's not a good thing. It defiles our soul. It muddies our soul. It, stir, it, it clouds our ability to hear from God. It messes with, and really it leads to sexual immorality, which was listed before. And some of you are like, how do I stop that? Well, how about you stop at lewdness? Just get rid of all lewdness in your life you find that your temptation in other areas would go way down. Because the truth is, man, like we've come to accept and even promote things and be entertained by things that God hates, that muddies our soul, that dirties us, that contaminates us, that disconnects us from God. And we wonder why it's so hard to follow God. Well, it's because we're locking in to all kinds of things that, that are sensual. So, 
We, anybody ready to make some declarations right now? In Jesus' name, we just make a declaration that we are not going to be entertained by that which, which grieves God's heart. We're not going to celebrate. We're sure as anything not going to point our daughters to celebrate that which grieves God's heart. And then wonder why they grow up in some other way. But instead, we're going to promote what is holy. We're going to allow in our homes what is holy. We're going to have in our earbuds what is holy and, and, and good and celebrates what is good. And it's not just Caleb. There's other good stuff out there. But we decide right now that we're going to stay away from that which is sensual. And we're going to ask, Lord, I ask for discernment for every parent and every person, every young person here, that we would have discernment as to where the line is for us when it comes to sensuality and comes to lewdness. And that we wouldn't judge other people according to that and throw that at other people, but that we would find our line and we would draw it in the sand and we would say, I'll listen to that, but I won't listen to that. I'll watch that, but I won't watch that. I, this, is, this is my line. This is my standard. And that we would have that. <laughs> Instead of just, just guessing. In Jesus' name. Amen. Number 10 is envy. And the word actually for envy here is an evil eye. So the, to, to translate, they translate it envy, but in the Greek it means evil eye. That is to look at others from an evil heart. I think, I think one big part of this is ungratefulness. So when we live with ungratefulness, we look around at what other people have... We say, well, why do they have that and I don't have it? Right? Why did he get the promotion and I didn't? I'm just as good as him. I work just as hard as him. Why do they have a husband and I don't? Well, why, why did they get that ministry opportunity and I didn't? This is where you're, you're looking at, at the blessings of other people, but you're looking at it from a place of an evil heart, an ungrateful heart. And it causes you to be envious of others. It causes you to look around and, and be like, man, something, something's wrong with them, something's wrong with them, something's wrong with them. And I'm pointing out and I'm looking at all these other people. But really it's because inside of me I'm not content. I'm not thankful for what I have. I'm not glad for, for, for the place. I, I haven't recognized the sovereignty of God. I've discounted the sovereignty of God and I haven't recognized it. Instead, my heart's full of envy and I'm looking around and I'm trying to, trying to, trying to forget. I, I'm forgetting that God's sovereign. So if you're dealing with, with, with a little bit of an evil eye, and really I think all of us are tempted by this at all times. I remember when, when I moved into the farm. I hate living on a farm. But I've stopped saying that. Because I was saying that to myself every day. I hate this farm. I have stupid animals. This dang. 14 acres. You know how long it takes you to get to your house from the road? I'm used to like, like, like neighborhoods where you, you're on the road and then you're in your driveway. I got to go through. It was at, the, at the beginning, it was like three gates. I had to get out in the Texas heat, open a gate, drive forward, get out, close the gate, drive forward, open the gate, get out, drive forward. I mean, three times. And I always, like, forget my phone. I don't know about you all, but, like, I forget my phone. And I get down to the edge of the driveway, and I'm like, oh, I forgot my phone. And it's literally, it's like another 10 minutes just to get back to the house to get my phone. So anyway, I could complain all day long. That's not preaching. That's complaining. And um, I hated it. And God finally challenged me on that. He said, this is, this, is, this is the house that he provided for us. And he totally did. It wasn't us. Like, he just provided. And I, and, I, and I know all of you are like, he's complaining about farm. I'd love to live on a farm. Yeah, you'd love it until you lived on it. It's real, just, just FYI, it's real easy to love what somebody else has when you don't have to pay the price to mow all 14 acres. And I don't mow it, my wife does. But it, I'm just saying, I'm just saying... <laughs> if you gotta, if you if, if you gotta watch your wife mow all that time, I'm just saying, it's not it's not as all it's cracked up to be. Texans are always like, I want to farm, I want to farm, I want to farm. I'm like, yeah, okay. But 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 like wherever you are, somebody else is envious of you because they don't know how much it costs for you to be there. And wherever you are, you're always gonna be tempted to be envious of somebody else because you don't know how much it costs for them to be there. <laughs> So none of us see the price that any of us are paying. We just see what we don't have. And if we're not careful, if we have an evil eye, man, it can disconnect us from God. We can be so caught up in, man, they don't, have, they don't, they, they don't deserve that and they have that. 
I deserve, I deserve, I should have had that. And it, man, and it, just, it just focuses you inward and it disconnects you from God. So in the name of Jesus, I'm making a declaration today to refuse envy, to refuse to look around. I make a, draw a line in the sand. I refuse to look around with an evil eye based on what I don't have or what I thought I should have had. But instead, I make a declaration right now, according to the power of God, I know I can't do this on my own. I need his grace. And so according to your power, Father, I make a decision today that I am not going to look around with envy. Instead, I'm going to look around my own house with thankfulness, with gratefulness. I'm going to look within my own relationships with gratefulness. I'm going to look at my own bank account with gratefulness. I'm going to look at my church with gratefulness. I'm going to look around at where you've planted me, and I'm going to acknowledge your sovereignty. You're in control. You know the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. And that's not a faith statement. That's a statement coming out of my faith. Coming out of the fact that I know that Lord is my shepherd. And even though I don't have what I think I need, apparently I have everything that I need and I'm going to be grateful for what I have. Amen. Number, number 11 is slander. And this is a big one because slander, slander is where you speak something that's not true about somebody. So it's where I tell Roe something that's not true about Jonathan. Did you know that Jonathan? No, no, no. So <laughs> now this, now this, this, this is usually pretty overt, and a lot of people don't necessarily engage in this kind of slander, where they're literally um, intentionally making up stuff. Maybe it's just that I've grown up in the church all my life. I really haven't seen much of that. Occasionally, there's a Jezebel around and a Jezebel spirit, and they'll make up, literally make up stuff, and that does happen. And people sometimes go to jail because of stuff that was made up. <laughs> and that's not good. That's called slander, false accusations. But the bigger deal is really more so than just slander, that kind of slander. It's not just, it's not just, it's not just saying something that's not true. It's also thinking something that's not true. And then saying it because you believe it is true. So more often than not, what happens is somebody does something or doesn't do something. They forget your anniversary or, or I don't know. Or they say something and then you pick up something from that. And then you say to yourself first. The slander begins with yourself. You tell yourself, they think I'm whatever. An idiot or a loser. They think I'll never amount to anything. So you claim it. You slander yourself. You slander to yourself. And so that by the time you're sharing it with somebody... Oh, well, you know, Megan, she thinks I'm just not that cool. She, she said it because she never mentioned my shoes, not once. Didn't say anything about them. And so that means she doesn't like my shoes. You know, Megan doesn't like Jordans. You know, so, so it's like by the time you say it to somebody else, you've already been saying it to yourself. And yet Megan never said anything about my shoes. I don't know. She probably thinks they're, well, they're not Vans. But, you know, but whatever. She probably thinks they're okay. But the thing is, like, we slander to ourselves first. And, I, and honestly, I think it's because it's a demonic spirit that is a slandering because the word for devil means accuser. And so Satan is always accusing the righteous. Jesus is defending himself. And who is more righteous than Jesus? So we know that the devil is at work when the Son of God has to tell people he's righteous. <laughs> well, guess what? If Jesus can be accused, so can every man and woman of God that you know. And there's so many people that are so quick to accuse righteous people. Not because, not because they're making stuff up in their head and like, well, I think they did. But because they actually misinterpreted something that was said or action that was taken. And then they, instead of going to the person, say, Megan, do you like my shoes? I, I don't know. I mean, I was a little, little well, well, why wouldn't you go to the person? Because it makes you look insecure. So, and so their pride won't let them go to people and actually straighten things out. It's easier just to accuse the righteous of, of you know, she, she doesn't like my... And so, and so what happens is we slander to ourselves and then we start slandering to others. We don't even know we're doing it. We think we're speaking truth. Right? And some politicians are like this too. Like they literally, I think they actually think it's true. Like, like the, the, the reason why our streets are not safe is so-and-so is president. Like, they really, I don't know, somehow believe that. 
they've, they've come to believe that all the world's problems are connected to the Democrats or the Republicans or whatever. And I think they really believe that if we could just get the right people. And yet, you know, historically, it's just not true. <laughs> it just doesn't happen. The truth is that, 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 that there's, it's much more complicated than that. And you can't just, you can't just slander people to yourself first. And so, and, and so what is the opposite of slander? The opposite of slander is communication. The opposite of slander is relationship. Communication and relationship breaks down slander because you actually have the ability to talk to each other. So this is why care groups are so important. Because what happens is in a church where nobody is gathering in circles, where they're all just sitting here in the row and Pastor Harry's talking, like in that kind of church, slander just begins to grow. Because we never sit down face to face and get to know anybody. We never talk to anybody. We figure that that, 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 that short text message, well, you know what that means. Pastor Harry sent me a short text message. You know what that means, right? It means he had little to say. No, 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 no. It means he had a lot to say, and he's holding it back. That's what it means. And so what happens is, like, when you don't get to know people, like, you just slander them to yourselves. And so you misinterpret actions all the time, and lack of actions, and I got, I, I got a haircut, and nobody said anything. I don't understand. We had one lady who wore a new dress to church, and Roe didn't point it out, and so she thought that, you know, Roe didn't like the dress. Well, she should be able to wear anything she wants, right? Who's Roe to be judging her? <laughs> Such an awful pastor's first lady. Uh, how can, I mean, can you believe it? Until we actually talk to her. Turns out, Ro doesn't notice when people wear new dresses, by the way. She doesn't, she's not really into that. She doesn't know what shoes you're wearing. Now, I'll, now I'll, I'll, I'll notice the shoes especially. I'll, 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 I'll know what's going on. But, but Ro, just, she, she, she has no idea. Your hair can change. You can grow a mustache. Like, you can do all kinds of things. She won't, like, just nothing. I don't know. Uh, she picks up on other things. She picks up on relational things. So she'll notice if you're a little bit sad. She'll notice if you're a little bit extra happy today. Like she'll pick up on that. I'll, I, like that'll go right by me. She's like, do you know so and so and so? And I'm like, I don't know. I, I said hi to him. I don't know. They seem fine to me. Like I don't pick up on any of that. But I'll, I'll notice what you're wearing, okay? So anyway, so between the two of us, we kind of see the whole person. That's kind of how that works. She's my other half. She's, we got to get together. She and I got to get together because we don't, we, don't, we don't see all of you. Just, I see what, what, what brand your, your shoes are, and she knows she sees other stuff. Anyway, the, the point is, man, that we've got to get together. We got to start talking with each other. We got to start breaking bread together. We got to start hanging out with each other because that'll break down slander real quick. But to begin with, man, it comes as a decision that I will not defile myself with slander. I will not believe something about somebody that's negative until I've checked in with them. That would, that would just solve a lot of issues. I will not receive anything negative from someone unless I ask them first. That would help a lot of your marriages right there. Like that's it. Like that right there, your marriage would be a thousand times better. I will not be offended by somebody until I check with them. Now, after I check with them and they meant that, okay, fine, maybe I'll be offended. At that point, I might be mad. But it won't be slander then, right? At least it'll be true and we can actually work through what we don't like about each other. We'll be honest about that. But the problem is, is oftentimes we actually do like each other, but there's so much sl spirit of slander where we won't go to each other. We'll just accuse each other in our own minds. And it moves from there to our mouths to other people. But, but slander really starts in the heart. And so, yeah, in Jesus' name, I, I make a decision that I'm not going to receive anything negative from my brothers and sisters in Christ, especially other believers. I'm not going to receive anything negative until I check in with them first. I'm, I'm going to be faithful to check in without accusations, without, hey, why didn't you do this? Or <laughs> with, 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 I'll, I'll check in without accusation. I'll provide an autopsy, autopsy without, without, the, without the judgment. So I'm not going to judge people anymore. I am going to go to people. I'm going to assume the best of people. I'm going to assume love believes the best. I don't want to be taken advantage of. I refuse to stand up for myself. I refuse to fight for me. I have a defender. His name is Jesus. He fights for me. I refuse to try to make sure that I don't get taken advantage of. That's not my job. My job is to love. My job is to forgive. My job is to walk humbly with God. So I choose to walk humbly.
And even if it makes me look insecure, I'll look insecure. That's all right. My job is to walk humbly with God in Jesus' name. Yeah, and I, and I believe God brings power to that. When you make a decision, I believe God brings power alongside that decision. I've got a couple more and we're going to finish up. Number 12 is arrogance. And I know none of you struggle with that, so we'll just skip, just skip right over there. But just real quick, the word arrogance means to shine above. It's a combination of two words, to shine and to be above. So it literally means to outshine or to overshine. It means to like top that, you know? <laughs> like when you're hanging out with a friend who always has a better, bigger story, a better, bigger fish. That's what it means. It means to shine, to outshine. So that's what arrogance is. And arrogance is to constantly be, be pr promoting yourself above other people. Well, <laughs> so some of us do struggle with that. And, and, and the human nature is that. Human nature is naturally prideful. Human nature is naturally ignorant. So all of us deal with this on a daily basis. And so, man, if you're going to take a stand against pride, would you just make a declaration with me right now? In Jesus' name, I take a stand against my own arrogance, my own pride, my own desire to outshine others, my own desire to, for people to see me and to recognize me and to approve of me. Lord, we just, we just make a decision that we want people to see Jesus. And if they see us, that's fine. But we want, we, we, we want to shine the flashlight of our social media on Jesus. We want to shine the flashlight of our conversations on Jesus. And it's not, it's not up to us to be like we're the first one to know this or secret knowledge stuff or just get into all these things that only puff up our pride. So we lay down our pride. We don't need to shine at all. We don't need to shine above Jesus or above anybody else. We will take the flashlight and shine it on other people. We'll promote what so-and-so told us, some good thing that they, they taught us. We'll take the flashlight of our social media and thank other people and promote other people ahead of ourselves. Yeah, we make a decision right now. We're not trying to shine our own light. We want people to see Jesus and see others. Amen. The final one is foolishness. And this, this sounds kind of like uh, uh, forgetfulness, I guess. The word in our, in our culture, if you're kind of foolish, it means you're kind of goofy. Uh, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. Really, when you read the book of Proverbs, you'll know what God thinks about a fool and how God describes a fool. For instance, a fool is an atheist. A fool says in his heart, there is no God. So there are many descriptions of a fool, and this is kind of what Jesus is talking about. But technically, the word could also be translated reckless. Or, like Jesus talked about in Luke 14, uh, the foolish person who built his house on the sand. So there is a wise person who builds his house, his life on Jesus, and there is a foolish person who doesn't do that. This is defiling or unholy. This disconnects us from God when we, when we know what we ought to do, but we build our life on temporary things. In other words, we choose not to build our lives on God on Jesus. So this is foolish. It's reckless. It's dangerous because we know the cost. We know that heaven and hell are real. We know that, 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 that this disconnects us from God. And yet we do that. Jesus in the same Luke 14 talks about building your, your house on the sand. He also talks about a guy who sets out to build a, a tower. And he says he set out to build a tower, but he didn't count the cost. So he got halfway through building the tower and, he, and it's done. He, he's all out of money. And so he said everybody else then walks by him and thinks he's foolish. So there's two ways in which we are reckless. One, we just act as if God's teaching his word. It doesn't count. We're going to do our life the way we want to do our life. That's reckless. But the other way is some of us in church are like, no, I'm going to build my life on Jesus. But we don't count the cost of that. We don't really think about how that's going to affect our daily life. And so instead we approach Jesus and we write a full-on check. We write, our, 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 our enthusiasm writes a check our commitment level can't cash. <laughs> right? So we write this huge check. We're going to build this life on Jesus. Here we go. We get halfway in and it's like, this is too hard. It's too difficult. And we sit down and we quit because we're all out of resources. And Jesus says that's, that's reckless, that's foolish. And it's, and it's because we haven't counted the cost. We haven't looked at really what it costs. 
Uh, another story about little Micah, and I'll, I'll, I'll close with this. It's easier. He's 12 now. I can tell stories about when he was little. Uh, when he was about a year and a half. Well, from the time he was born, Micah was more challenging of a child. Um, our first uh, child was perfect in every way. As all first children are. Do we have any oldest, older children around here? Got some friends? Yeah, I mean, you, you, you know it. You know. We know. Uh, she, I mean, she just, she, 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 she wanted to be obedient. Little Madden wanted to. I mean, you know, she got in trouble every now and then, but it, it was fine. It wasn't that big of a deal. But Micah comes along. And also, if we have any second children in here, I'm sorry. Uh, but, but you all are some troublemakers. You know what I'm saying? Like, usually you guys are the ones to push the limits, test the rules, break the rules. I mean, so little, you're, you're saying no? Well, anyway, I, I mean, from my experience with my brother, I'll just, I'll just throw him under the bus. I'm saying I was, I was pretty much perfect in every way, but he, he struggled. Um, but little Micah, man, I mean, if whatever mom and dad wanted him to do, he wanted to do the opposite. You know, I, I talked about my laptop. I mean, oh my gosh, so many times. Like, don't touch the laptop. And, you know, he, he touches it, smack his hand, don't touch the laptop. So it just, it like, th this is where our parenting, and this is, a good, I guess, a good advertisement for, for the parenting class that's starting next week. Uh, Pastor Eddie and Priscilla, they're walking through the book that really helped Roe and I. Because, you know, I, I had a great example of parents um, in my own life. But sometimes you come across things that you just don't know how to get through. And we, we had all these battles with Micah. And you just knew the battle was coming, right? So with regard to dinner, right? So there was always, he didn't like vegetables, basically. I, I remember tomatoes especially. And yet, we're, our rule is if it's on your plate, you have to eat it for dinner. Because mom and dad have figured out that you can't just eat sugar all day. You have to have something that's healthy. So, you know, so, so we played, and, and, and it was a battle. And you knew it was going to be a battle. Cutting up the little tomatoes. You just know going into dinner, it's going to be a fight. Well, there were several things like that. There was just like, we just couldn't win those battles. And I remember uh, one of the battles was, was uh, Micah wanted to always be with mom. Right, and I mean, who can blame him? I mean, you know, like, uh, being with mom's lovely, she's great, she's fun. Like, but, but he did not want to be with dad. Particularly, didn't want to drive in the car with only dad. I don't know why, just didn't want it. So, so, so when, whenever we're all family riding together, Micah's good. But there's some times where mom needs a life. Come on, somebody. You should be a lame Some, mom, Mom's not just mom, you know? Like, mom has friends. Mom has a ministry. Like, mom has a life. Like, she's not attached at the hip to Micah. So sometimes mom has to go out with her friends and do things. And, and, and she has a ministry. Like, so we were at a church in San Marcos. And so sometimes, Sunday after church, mom is going to stay late and meet with somebody for counseling. And that's perfectly fine. Like, that's what mom does. That's what Ro does. Like, she's called to that. And so we want her to do that. Well, Micah doesn't want her to do that. <laughs> and you know it. Like, you just know going to church, we drive separately so that she could stay later and me and the kids would go home. But you know, like, like Micah doesn't know it, but you know going to church that on the way home it's going to be a fight gonna be a battle and it would always happen the same way right like I I would have Micah I'm, I'm holding him on my arms uh, Ro goes off for counseling for with, with this lady and I'm like all right guys time to get going so mad and and me and Micah head we head toward the car and Micah starts looking around nervously as we're walking like noticing mom's not here mama and uh, it's like uh, and that's when it starts like that's when it begins that's when the battle begins and I tried all kinds of things. I tried, like, 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 like ignoring. You know, acting like I didn't hear him. Ma, ma. I'm like, I don't know. I'm just, all right, Madden, we're going into the car. You know, get to the car, open the back seat, put him in the, the, the high chair strap. Ma, ma. He's getting more anxious. Turns out ignoring people doesn't make them feel better. I, I mean, who knew? Who knew, right? <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is another good marriage tip for you. I don't know why everything's come back to marriage. The Lord's trying to speak to somebody. But, 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 but sir, if you just keep ignoring her, it doesn't, 
help. It gets louder and and he gets more, and Micah gets more anxious and he's like, mom, 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 and now he realizes that the you know, mom's not coming with us. And so then you've got a 30 minute drive home with a toddler in the back who's screaming and you know, it's just awful. And he's screaming not because he's sad, because he's mad. He's ticked off. He's angry scream. You know, you can tell sometimes, baby. Yeah, like you can tell like there's a sad, like I hurt myself. And then there's like, you people are evil, you know. And it was that kind of scream. So like that didn't work. So I, I tried some other stuff. I tried like rationalizing with them, right? That also didn't work. I tried the whole disciplinarian thing because that, that, that would work with Madden. I said, look, mom's staying here. You're going to sit here and you're going to be good with it. We're going to go home and you're going to be fine. That also didn't work. One time I pulled over three times on the way home just to take him out of the car seat, administer some correction, put him back in the car seat. Because I'm not playing. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'll pull this thing over three times. I will. I'll, I'll find a safe spot inside the room. Turns out that didn't work with Micah. <laughs> Madden would have been terrified. That would have worked with Madden. You only had to pull over once, you know? You didn't even have to go back there. You just pull over. It's just the threat of... Anyway, but, but Micah is like, that just, he's more determined now. I tried bribing him, right? Like bribery and corruption. Like, all right, we're going to bring some chocolate milk. Because he loved that little chocolate milk from Starbucks that cost like $3,000 for the little can. And so I hated buying it because it was a ripoff. But I'm like, all right, fine. So I buy the chocolate milk, and he's back there sucking on the chocolate milk for about five minutes until it's gone. And then, mama, mama, and it all starts all over again. But, I mean, you, you parents of young kids, you know, like, that you just have these battles. We weren't winning the battle. <laughs> Let's just put it bluntly. We weren't winning. And uh, we came across this book, Shepherding a Child's Heart. And this is that, that, that's what the small group is going to be on. And it's, and, it's, and, and it's really about taking a more biblical approach as a pastor. That's a novel idea. Taking a more biblical approach to raising your kids. And, 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 and specifically the approach that Jesus took. So Jesus was clear here, right? He says, look, these things defile you. He has 12 things, and then he, his final one is the defilement of walking away from him. The defilement of or half-heartedly serving him. So Jesus, would, he was clear about the cost. So you need to be clear with your kids about, about consequences. And so I didn't, I didn't give up on that. But yet he was also empowering he also helped people because he dealt with people's heart. All of these things are heart issues. None of them are behavior. They're all things that flow out of your heart. And the whole time I was focusing on Micah's behavior, trying to get him to stop screaming. <laughs> but the truth is underneath the screaming, there was a heart issue. And I never thought of that. I thought if I just figured out how to trick him into the right behavior, whether by beating him into it or threatening him into it or bribing him into it, that his heart would naturally sort of follow the behavior, but it's just not the way things work. So Jesus here doesn't address behavior. He addresses heart issues. Envy, that's a heart issue. Greed is a heart issue. Sexual immorality, lewdness that comes out of the heart. It's all in here. It manifests outside, but it's in here. And so, man, we started going to that class and learning about addressing kids hearts and so uh ted i think it's ted trip he he's the he's the author of the book and he he teaches on these these videos and he shared a story about his son and his grandson where they had a similar issue uh the kid wouldn't wouldn't be quiet in the car because he was yelling and stuff and so they talked about how he dealt with it and ro and i were like hey that sounds like a good plan let's try that so the next time uh we had to go to church and ro had to st stick around late we tried it and man, it, it, it began just this really good process of working with Micah on his heart. And I'm not saying we got it right every time or that it even went well every time. Sometimes it was still painful uh, and long. But that's, that, that, but, but that's heart issues for you. Painful and long. That's why people avoid them. Because it's quick and easy behavior. But there's a heart issue for Micah and we needed to figure out what that was. And so um, anyway, so the next time... We're, and by the way, the only way to figure that out is to talk to him. He's like two years old, a year and a half, something like that. And he, he doesn't know English well, but we have to talk to him. 
We got to figure out what's going on. And so I'm carrying him. I got Madden down there at my feet. We're walking to the car. He starts getting nervous, noticing mom's not there. Mama. So I talked to him. I said, okay, Micah, this is what's going on. Mom needs to stay to counsel with a lady. You're going to go home with dad and Madden, and we're going to go home and get something to eat. Because the truth is, he wouldn't be happy with mom in the counseling session because he's hungry. Right? So, so I'm like, okay. And so, so I get him in the car, and he's not happy with that. Mama, mama. And so he, he wants mom. So now I need to address, I need to engage him. I need to address his heart. And so I said, why, why, why is it that you want mom so, so badly? And uh, that's, that's a, you know, something I never asked before. I just knew that he wanted something we didn't want. That's the, the, the behavior. So I asked him why. Like, what's behind that? And so uh, essentially in his little language, mom is fun. He likes mom, basically. I think, I think that's what he said. And I was like, dude, me too. I, I, like, I totally understand. I would rather ride with mom all the time, everywhere I go. Like, I get that. And, 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 and I, I mean, his mom specifically, uh, but also my mom. I like, like, I've always been a mama's boy. I like my mom. <laughs> my mom. Isn't that a movie? Anyway, uh, no, I, I do. I, I like my mom. I like his mom. I'm down with, with mama's boy. Like, that's, I, I get it. So I'm, I'm, I'm understanding him. And I, and, I, and I understand that dad is not mom, you know. It's just not. And so I said, okay. So, so we were, we're working through this. We see that he's calming down, right? And, um, and so now that we have this understanding, I said, okay. But, like, here's, here's, here's the deal. Mom is staying behind. She's, she's doing her thing. And so that's when he starts getting frustrated again. Mom, 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 mom. And so once I understood where he's coming from, I understood his heart, then I could talk to him more clearly about my heart. So I said, well, look, how about dad? Has dad ever mistreated you? No. You know, he's like grudgingly like, no. And uh, does dad, use, do, you, do you usually have a good time with dad? And Madden's like, yeah, because I was the one who brought in the sugar. Like, we always stop, we're going to stop at Starbucks. We're going to stop at Dairy Queen. Now we're going we're gonna to get some, because I, I like sugar. So we're going to stop and get something good to eat. So all their sugar in their life, most of it came from dad. You know, the love and stuff came, comes from mom. But you're going to get some good stuff with dad. And Madden's like, yeah. And so Micah's like, mm, yeah. You know, and we're kind of walking him through this process. And so then I said, okay, so do you think in this moment you could trust that dad has your best interest at heart? And that's when he stopped, and he's like, two, you know. But he sees what's happening. He sees that if he answers yes to that question, that the very next logical request is, would you sit here quietly and enjoy the ride with Dad? The next lo if he can trust that Dad knows what's best for him instead of he knows what's best for him, then the very next logical conclusion is, Okay, I'll do what dad's asking. And uh, man, he, he thought long and hard about that one. <laughs> Can I trust dad? I don't know. But we just laid out some pretty good evidence. Me and Madden laid out some good evidence. And his life has, has given him some good evidence. And so to those of you here today who find some of these 13 things difficult, I would just ask you what I asked Micah. One, why, why do you want what you want? And I guarantee I can relate. Whether it's sexual immorality or greed or whatever it is. Yeah, totally. I understand that. But number two, has God ever mistreated you? Has he always been good to you? Or has it been other people that have mistreated you? Or has it been yourself that has mistreated you? And then, thirdly, can you trust your heavenly father? That if he's telling you not to do this, not to go here, not to go there, but to go over here to do this and to do this, that even though it doesn't seem best to you, it is actually best for you? Can you trust him? Because that's the, that's the heart issue that Micah had. At his core, he didn't trust that his authority knew what was best. He knew what was best. And yet when we laid out the evidence, <laughs> he said, okay, yeah, I think dad knows what's best. And so a few times on the way home, he started, he started thinking about mom. And I said, Micah, can you trust dad? Yeah. Okay, cool. This is what we're going to eat when we get home. <laughs> and so I talked about that. So, so, here, so here's the deal. Can you trust God? And if you can, then will you?
put your trust in him. If we could just pray this final prayer. I don't think this is necessarily a, a decision, a declaration, as much as it is a prayer of trust of God. Father, right now we come before you, and we acknowledge ways that we have not trusted you. We have tried to do things our own way. We've tried to make life our, on our own terms. We trusted other people who've let us down. We've trusted religion that's let us down. We've trusted pastors and preachers. We haven't trusted Jesus. And so we find his commands burdensome. We find them difficult because we're not sure that he has our best interest at heart. And so, Father, right now, we just make that de declaration. That we trust you. We believe that you know what's good for us. We believe that you are doing what's good for us. And we believe that all of your commands lead us to joy, to peace, to good. And so we resist the temptation of the slanderer, the enemy, who would tell us, God's just trying to keep something good from you. It's not true. The snake has been lying to us from the very beginning. God is trying to present what is good to us. God wants only good for us. And so we choose to trust him. We choose to put our faith in him. And that is salvation, by the way. That's what salvation is. To trust him. And to look at the cost and to say, you know what, that's worth it because he has my best interest at heart. Because I can trust him. So I'm getting down from the throne of my own life, from my car seat in the back. I'm gonna stop yelling at my dad up front <laughs> like he's doing something bad for me. He's doing what's best for me. He knows how unhappy I'd be stuck in that room with, with mom counseling and me sitting there hungry. He's doing what is absolutely best for me. So we believe that. We tell ourselves that. We choose to tell, remind ourselves because the, the car ride's long and it takes a while. But we choose to remind ourselves that God's got our best interest at heart.